You guys, the goal is to not have to work. All right. The goal, the, the goal is to not have to work. The goal is not to work forever. Get to where you don't have to work and you can get there with a lot less money than you think you need. So stop trying to work all the damn time and stop trying to push people to work. All right. Just because you got to work doesn't mean I got to work. Tweet Talk episode 138. We on the what it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Yes. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. And you know, everything is content. So we're going to talk about the Airbnb as content. Welcome to Tweet Talk, the Black Wealth Podcast. I am your host, Raphael Husbands, along with my co-host, Charles Oglesby, the third JD. And we talk about building black wealth and we break down these financial tweets. What's happening, Charles? Uh, man, you know, just had to pull up, get it in, do what I do, uh, you know, here at the ghetto Airbnb. That's what we do, man. You got to pull up on these fools. Ooh, so you're back in Detroit working on the flip. Yeah, man. Finishing the flip. It's going to be done by the time I leave here. I'm If I got to stay extra days, I just got to stay extra days because I realize if I got to come back, it's a whole nother flight. Why not just stay? Just stay. Push my flight back a few more days, if so be. If so be it. And uh, we're going to get this thing done. And so, you know, um, I just been grinding. I went. Everything needs to get done. We're getting done. The paint. I was there late late, late tonight until like 7, 8 o'clock, finishing up some, some paint on the second floor. Uh, third floor is already painted. It's just when you deal with contractors, what contractors tend to do is they blow up the problems so they can charge you more. And so in their mind, the problem's big. In my, pro- in my mind, the problem's not so big. It's kind of like wholesalers. Wholesalers, when they come to you with the issue, like, oh, my God, it's so much work. It's this, it's that. It's going to be a $100,000 rehab so they can push the price down on you. Contractors, they do the opposite. Like, oh, my God, it's so much work so they can push the price up on you. But mm-hmm. me, I'm like, it ain't that bad. So I went in there and I painted the whole third floor and the third floor is done. I don't got to think about it. I don't got to listen to somebody complain about it, how much work it is and why it's going to take so hard. The first floor, literally in the same condition as it was when I came here last year, last month. And I was like, this is insulting. It's borderline insulting that you would think I'd be okay with that. And so we walked in, man, that first floor is looking amazing now. It looks so good. And so now I'm about to start laying the floors. The crazy part about it is last time I was in uh, Detroit, actually like the time before that, I came in here and I did a rental turn. And so I took the property and I turned it, I turned two. I put floors down on one, painted them two, painted the boat. And I learned a valuable skill. I learned how to lay some floors. So if you do the work, you get the skills. But um, yeah, I'm just, I had to get out here and I had to get it done. I am getting it done, making a lot of progress. And I was thinking about this. I was like, men do labor. People think that because I have degrees that I don't know how to work. And that's a big mistake because I worked my way to where I'm at now. I worked my way to get to the degrees. I was sitting there. I was like, man, 
I was pulling all-nighters in law school. Why can't I pull an all-nighter at this house? Why can't I push through at this house? Why can't I work hard in this house? I can. The day isn't nine to five. That's some new shit. It's like in, back in the day, they were from sunup to sundown. Yeah. They don't work. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about is just this concept of like hustling. And I think that hustling can be, it's like, there's two different ways to look at the hustle. You can look at the hustles if you're like grinding and putting in work. But I think what Detroit looks at a hustle is, is they look at a hustle that's getting something for nothing. And so everybody's looking to get something for nothing. And the problem with that is you create a value that's worthless. You create a community that's worthless because you're, one person's robbing the next person, robbing the next person, robbing the next person. And you just can't exist like where you're trying to get over on somebody. And a perfect example of that is there is a roof issue. And so the roof issue is like, all right, there's a roof issue. So the contractor who's doing the painting for me calls a roofer. The roofer tells me it's 1500 The lady tells me it's 2000 there's a big difference between 1500 and 2000. It shouldn't cost 1500 in the first place to do some damn basic maintenance. But the thing is, is they're trying to make 500 bucks for nothing. But what they did is they just destroyed their character because you just showed me that you think everything is a money grab. I can't even bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bonus you out. I want to take, I want to take care of folks, but you want to rob me. We can't build a community off of that where everybody's checking over their shoulder, not trusting the next guy, where there's no trust, there's no community. And so it's frustrating to me because you have this community of people who are always looking to get over on somebody, always looking to get something for nothing. That's what the uh, the, the 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 Joe Biden stuff was. It's something for nothing. I get my student loans paid for. I don't got to do shit for it. And so the something for nothing culture is not a lucrative culture. It's just it doesn't prosper. We don't prosper. We are not prospering as a community. I told somebody, I was like, my goal isn't for me just to make money. We all got to eat. If I'm making money off of this, I'm making good money. You should be making good money too. But you got to make sure that I make money. And I got to make sure that you make money. And that's how a community works. So, you know, out here in Detroit, getting this stuff together, putting my foot on folks' neck, I always find a way to create a nemesis. I always got to fight against something. But what also what I'm finding is I got to... Um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. But, yeah. <laughs> so, ghetto Airbnb. What's going on? Oh, man. It's funny uh, what you were saying. There's a guy um, called Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He wrote a book called Thou Shalt Prosper. And one time I saw him say that to do good business, you need honesty. Like He said, if honesty didn't exist, you would have to invent it to do business. Mm. Like he said, like people like, think that to do business that like, you gotta be like crooked, but he's like, nah, it, it don't work, man. That don't work long term. So you, you gotta be honest, man. Be straight up with people. I was thinking today too that unfortunately, a reason like a lot of people don't, or, or people don't build wealth that live in the ghetto is because they grew up seeing the wrong examples. Like everybody trying to get over. So, and then America don't like us. I mean, let's keep it real. They don't like us. So it's kind of, that you combine the two, where you think that everybody that's getting ahead is getting over. And then it's like, you think like, well, America don't like us anyway. They put obstacles in our way. So they think they got to do something illegal 
or they gotta get over on somebody to try to get a, sl- a slice of this pie that's really infinite, but they don't know that. Yeah. You know, so it's it's sad, man. But it's interesting though because it reminds me of high ticket. A lot of folks who push high ticket and getting ten k off of one customer. It's like I think that's how a lot of these folks look at like customers is they want to get as much money out of one person as they can. They want to get rich off of one customer. And the problem with that is the reason why people know who I am is because they were able to get my stuff for cheap. And so I go to any state and telling you, I expect to be known. If I, if I'm not known, it's a problem. I was in Florida. I was like, somebody here knows me. I know some people know me. And the dude stopped me. He was like, Hey man, Todd Billy, what's going on? And so I did that because I added value. Your business should add value. Your business should create an exchange whereby people receive more in use value than they pay you in compensation. And so the problem is a lot of contractors started to see how much, um, and this is important because it relates back to a lot of things that I've talked about in the past. Contractors started seeing how much flippers are getting paid and they didn't care how much money they were getting paid because they weren't getting paid what the contractors were getting paid. And the same thing happened with the options community. People were getting paid good money. Contractors mm-hmm. were charging good prices and were getting paid good money, but they were looking at the contractor's prices, looking at the investor's pockets. And they're like, man, the investor making big money. I got to make big money too. And they killed the whole system. Folks don't want to do flips anymore. I was sitting next to a dude like, I hate flips for the contractors. He was like, what's the first three letters of contractors? Con. He's like, they come in there and they try to finesse you. And I take it personal when people try to finesse me because I worked hard. I worked hard for everything that I have. So for somebody to think that they could just rob me because they drafted an invoice and they did a few things, it's insulting. Because I, I'm telling you, I was paying people $2,000 a month. You know what I would do for $2,000 a month in side income? I was working hard and not getting $2,000 in side income. And they come here, I'm giving them 2000 and they're unhappy with it. Mm. It's, it's, in, it's insane. And to some instances, I kind of have given up on the culture in that respect. And that's why I got to do it myself. But the cool thing about doing it yourself is then you can create, you can do infinite properties. If you know how to do it yourself, you're not depending on anybody else. I can do as many flips as I want to, Raphael. I just got to keep moving. That's it. I just got to keep moving. I might get tired, but I'm getting paid. And then the cool thing is, I can know how much it should cost, how much the materials cost, how long the labor should be, how many guys you got working on this, and how long is it going to take? Actually, I know how long it's going to take. It should take you guys two and a half days to get this done, and it should only take four guys. You're paying those four guys 15, 20 bucks an hour, so your labor shouldn't be $13,000. So you got to do these things so that you can point them out, and I'm at a point now where I'm not being nice in business anymore. I'm not being nice because being nice will get you robbed, being nice to get you taken advantage of, being nice to get you finessed. I got to be hard and I'm going to be hard and I'm going to be a dog and I don't care about your feelings no more because I'm telling you, folks will rob you of big money. Folks out here worried about college. I've gotten robbed for more money than I've actually paid in college. My, I've gotten robbed for more, more money than I've paid in student loans. Not in law school. It wasn't that bad. But like college, yeah. I've had black people take advantage of me several times on this clip. Well, and 
Be sure to follow us, folks, on Twitter at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow myself, Raphael, on Twitter at Work Money Life. You had a tweet where you said, if I went broke, I would just load up on the jobs again. Yeah, um, it's so funny. I was talking to my mom about this, and it kind of speaks to what I was talking about on Instagram and what Mark said. And he was like, a lot of people don't appreciate the gravity of Charles's words. And I was like, that's true. It's true for in a, in a few instances. The first is, of course, the reverse, reverse engineering your life. People don't really appreciate that. They didn't give me credit for that, although I still love them. They're my <laughs> homies. But... Um, what I realized is people just don't know that a lot of what I get comes from books. And so I talk about working three jobs a lot, but in the book, there's a book called how black people acquire wealth. There's something along those lines that Mark uh, actually put me on game to. And one of the principles of that book is to work three jobs. Now you don't work three jobs just for the money. You work three jobs to keep you distracted from spending the money. So if you're always busy working, you can't be out there spending, which means you're saving and investing by default. The goal isn't to work three jobs forever. The goal is to work three jobs to get out of the hole. But you can't get out of the hole if you're working and playing just as much as you're working. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people, they work really, really hard and they're like, I need a release. I deserve this. And so then they go back to being broke. So if you have three jobs, even if you have that one job that you have your release from, and you spend all your money, you still got two other jobs coming in that are kicking for you. And so that's not a principle that like I just came up with. It's a principle that I took from my book, but it works. But people will, again, hear me say three jobs and they'll be like, all right, well, uh, shut up, Charles. Like, no, if you are struggling, if you're check to check, you need more jobs for the meantime. But the goal is to still get out and build your own because you can't make no money at a job. It's not designed that way. And so that is like my thing is if, if it ever happened to that, I would load up on jobs, but I would still be building that business on the side. Or what I really want to do is acquire a business because I'm not about the startups anymore. I need to acquire something and grow it as opposed to just starting from scratch. And the more expensive the business, the better. Mm. What, what do you mean by that? Meaning that you don't want to buy a cheap business. If the business is expensive, it's expensive for a reason. If the Airbnb is expensive, it's expensive for a reason. If the Airbnb is cheap, it's cheap for a reason. Hence where we are now, where you walk in and they just because like the thing is, and I do this too. I do this to tenants where there's this thing where it's like if it's cheap, if it's affordable, your mindset is like the audacity of these fools to be complaining. So they're probably like, bruh, you in downtown Detroit for not a lot of money. How dare you complain about this? Like, shut up with your nine ACS. Like, you better sleep with <laughs> no clothes on. And so, like, they'll take that approach to you. And I just found that, like, I, I don't know. I mean, but the thing is, and this is the thing, and I was trying to tell my mom this. is My goal, I'm not here for luxury. We went to Vegas and we stayed in luxury. And next week we'll be going to Curacao for my wife's birthday. We'll be staying in luxury. And so sometimes you've got to grind so you can shine. And so this is my grind. It's not comfortable, but it's not supposed to be comfortable. I'm here for a purpose. And that purpose is to finish this house. 
It's not to be laid up in the bed, going down to the casino, chilling, doing all that stuff. I'm here to grind it out and handle some business. So I might have to be ghetto for a second, but I'm ghetto fabulous, not just ghetto. Ghetto fabulous in the Airbnb. Yeah. So you think you're going to get this done by the end of the week? If I don't, I'll stay longer. But um, honestly, from what I see, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, me and my guy, me and Joe, me and Joe get it in. It's so funny because the dudes who I hired, and I'm probably not going to even air them out. I'm probably not going to like tell them how I feel to their face because it doesn't matter. They're not going to get it, and they're just going to have an excuse. So I'm probably just going to like let them walk, pay them for whatever they've done, and call it a day without trying to like go in on them because I don't I don't start the time that energy. But like these dudes don't be working. Even when I was there, they don't be working. And I was like, this is crazy. Me and Joe walked in and knocked out the whole first floor by ourselves. And y'all was just sitting around with your thumb up your ass or sitting on the porch. His wife, who like kind of handles the business side, showed up and just sat on the porch the whole time. I'm like, if you're just gonna sit on the porch, you could leave. Like, it makes no, I don't understand, but a lot of people think that being a boss means doing nothing. A lot of people think being a business owner means being doing nothing. And in my opinion, I think it's the opposite. I think the boss got to work harder than everybody else. The difference is we get to keep all the upside. And so people see me working and they're like, why would you do that? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you just don't, you don't know what I got going on. You don't understand what I'm working on because what you realize is what I'm doing right now is going to propel me to, to do 50 of these and make 10 million. Why? Because I control my destiny now. So much so that imagine if I walk into a property, I buy the property, I look, and this is what Doug Depp does. You buy the property, you GC the property. Bro. So you buy the property for 70K. You tell the, the hard money lender, okay, it's going to be 100K in rehab. Normally what would happen is 50K of that would go to your labor and your materials, and then 50K would go to the contractor. Now what happens is 50K goes to Charles Oglesby in terms of the rehab budget. So now I'm making money off of the rehab, not just on the upside. As an investor, you make money off of the upside after you pay the contractor. Now I'm the contractor. So Doug Depp makes good money just GCing his own properties. And so I'm just inching myself into becoming more profitable. If I decide to do that, that's what Lamont, Lamont Wood does. Mm-hmm. That's how he makes all his money. That's how his business exists. His business exists. He doesn't even care if he makes a profit off of the upside. All he cares about is if he makes money being the GC. He'll buy it, put some money into it, make money off of the GC, and then whatever the upside is, the upside is. He's not trying to squeeze it out because we've been in a we're in a situation now where so many people know the game that they've squeezed all the profits out for you. Kind of like how wholesalers got hip to the game of what real estate investors are making, and now they squeeze all the profits. So you got all these wholesalers like I make thirty k, forty k, fifty k on a deal. You're just robbing the investor. That's all you're doing. You're robbing the homeowner. You're robbing the investor because you're making your margins greater. We got to outsmart them. We got to constantly be thinking and being on our toes. And that's just how I do things. I got to always be thinking, always be pivoting. It's always thinking. People, they just don't think. I had this thought when I was at um, getting getting paint. 
And so I had to get paint. I had to get some five gallon tubs. Liz like, oh, we're out of five gallon tubs. I'm like, well, why don't you make take five of those one gallon tubs and sell them to them? <laughs> She's like, oh, I could do that. I'm like, bro, like, yeah. man, y'all don't think it's it's a constant like mental exercise of doing business. Meaning that as they pivot, you gotta pivot, and we just grow. Right, right, right. Now, something you said earlier, you said that people think just because you got degrees that you're not a worker, and you don't understand why that why people think that. I think part of it is come from there was a tweet from earlier, and the guy was saying that. His family had um, farms. His his ancestors had farms, and like, people kind of looked down on that. And it's like the whole blue collar versus white collar thing. It's like people think when people think good jobs, quote unquote, they're really talking about white collar jobs. Yeah. Money. And so it's a status thing. But I mean, if you're making the money, you're making the money. We've been sold that man. We were sold that. So they could take it from us. It's mm. all marketing. It's all marketing. They're all saying, hey, this is the new thing. White color this. And the book, Miseducation of the Negro, speaks to this, where he talks about how a lot of black folks think it's better to work at somebody's firm than to sell hot dogs in their community or sell ice in their community or sell wood or lumber in their community not realizing that the person selling wood and lumber selling gas is paid. The person with his own business, the non-sexy business, the non, ooh, this is what I'm doing business, he's paid. And which brings me to another point. As black folks, we got to stop going into the same business as each other. And I had this thought as I was painting, and I was like, I could start a painting company. And then I realized, I was like, you know, what's interesting is in an intelligent community, you don't monop- you don't cannibalize your, your peers' business. And the reason why you don't do it is because if instead of creating a competing business, you create a complementary business, you already have your customer. But what we do is we compete. We're like, oh, you're doing that? I'm doing that, too. So I was, I was driving down the road and I'm working with one of my one of my my workers. He knows Detroit. And he was he pointed at this office complex. And he's like, man, they make billions of dollars a day over that at that building. I was like, what do they do? He was like, they create the parts that go inside of the, uh, the Chrysler cars and the Chevy cars. So they create the radiators. They create the seats. They create all that stuff. And he was like, and the cool thing about it is they're not making it like and then having to sell it, they're making it for cars that are already sold. Mm. And I was like, that is how you do it. Firstly, a lot of us think that these companies make everything inside the car. No, they outsource it to other companies that make the tires, that make the engines, that make all these different things, and they pull all the components together, and boom, you got a business. But the gym is that we got to think like that when it comes to business. A lot of us, uh, most of us, we are like, you got a car company? I got a car company, too. That's how we do everything. That's how we do. You got a shirt company. I got a shirt company too. You got digital products. I got digital products too. Like, why don't you create the software to promote digital products? Why don't you create something that complements that business? Why don't we learn how to think like that? So not only do you not 
take your friend's business, you also ensure that your business thrives. It thrives by default. If you're helping me win, I want you to win. If you're helping me sell cars, I want you to sell as many of them engines as possible because I'm, I'm making money and making money too. But another thing that they would do is they'd be like, oh, they, they make all the money selling cars. Well, now my engines cost twice. That's the stuff that we do too. And so we don't put a lot of thought when it comes to the business. And that's a problem to me because business is everything. It's not just like a luxury. It's not just like something you kind of sort of do. Like, no, business is everything. And that's one of the things that Mark said when he really made that comment. Like, man, people don't appreciate the gravity of things Charles says. Because he was saying, like, good jobs, Mark has one. There's not a lot of people that are at Mark's level. Mark has a UCLA MBA. Not a lot of folks at Mark's level. It's very difficult to get a UCLA MBA. And he was saying that when he was working his job, he was barely able to put like 100 bucks, 200 bucks into his 401k, into his savings accounts. But when he had a business, he stacked 30K. He maxed mm. out that and had to get a bigger one because the business will set you free. The business and the investments are going to make more money than you've ever seen. And so I tell people, stop trying to build wealth and start serving people. And they're like, shut up, Charles. Like, All right. If you want to know where I got it from, I got it from Dr. Dennis Kimbrough in his book, Think Grow Into Black Choice. I didn't pull the shit out of my ass. So don't debate me. Debate Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, who interviewed a bunch of black millionaires. I'm just telling you what they told me. I ain't make it up. Right, 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 right. It's funny, though. I keep seeing. um, I keep seeing stuff that people are saying online. I wouldn't say they're copying you, but it's like they're saying stuff that I was like, damn, Charles been saying that. It's one guy in particular, I think it's Aston CEO or something. He says something about people keep talking about invest, 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 that you're going to build wealth like that. You're not going to build wealth investing. He said, he's like, you got to get the uh, high income skill and get your money up, get rich, and then you take that money and you put it in investments. Then you build wealth. First you get rich, then you build wealth. I was like, damn. That's exactly what Charles said. Oh, man, I wish I would have got that on my TikTok. <laughs> Who said that? Aston CEO on Instagram. He said that. it was. He had a real. He said that. I was like, damn, that's exactly what Charles been saying on Tweet Talk. For a minute now. And... I'm, you know, people are going to listen. They're not going to listen. I will still win. I'm not here for y'all to listen. I'm here for Nolan Ogilvie and Nakia Ogilvie. That's all I got to do. <laughs> CNN. So, speaking of that, you said you had a tweet. There's like two tweets. You said, I don't work. I just live. And then also, Anthony Hartsog was saying, like, our coach said, figure out. The, the life you want to live and work backwards. It'll help when setting goals. I was just messing with Kenan. That's my friend. Um, she said that she doesn't live to work. She, she, right. she, she works to live. And I was like, I don't work, I just live. And uh, I thought that was funny. But what's interesting is it's so funny. Like I, I go to these events and everybody says like, what are you working on? as if I'm supposed to be working on some shit. <laughs> and you guys, the goal is to not have to work. All right? The goal, the goal is to not have to work. The goal is not to work forever. Get to where you don't have to work, and you can get there with a lot less money than you think you need. So stop trying to work all the damn time. 
and stop trying to push people to work. All right. Just because you got to work doesn't mean I got to work. I was talking to a kid and um, he has 27 doors. He tells me he nets about 6K a month. And I was like, your 6K a month is different than my passive income per month. Why? Because I got cash and income. I don't just got income. And so you still got to work because you don't got cash. You got to get you some cash to go along with that income. And then once you get all that stuff, then maybe you can just chill. But I don't want to do nothing. I want to do nothing. But I do enjoy making properties pretty. That's fun. It's cool to see. Like when I show you guys the before and then after, it's going to blow your mind. And that's what was frustrating me about these contractors. Is it like, oh, it's so bad. I was like, bruh, do y'all realize what I took this property from for you to be in here complaining about some mother-loving drywall? Y'all complaining about drywall. It used to be no walls. It used to be soaking <laughs> wet, rain coming through the roof in here. Y'all complaining about some drywall? Practice? Right now. Y'all complaining about practice? <laughs> not the not the not the rain, not the rain. But practice. So anyway, um, I say all that to say that sometimes the motivation that comes for a new business is just being pissed off. And so I, I, I thoroughly enjoy this. I love that the city's improving. One of the things that's interesting about this ghetto complex is when I walked in, it was nothing but white people in here. And I was like, y'all white people just love and love enjoying the ghetto, I guess. But that's kind of like what Detroit is. And this is actually like a more renovated building. Like, it's not that bad. But my mom be like, my mom be pumping fear into my plans. She might be watching this, but she be trying to scare me out of my plans all the time. But I got to do it anyway, because you got to realize that your mom loves you and she wants to keep you safe. I don't want to be safe. I want to be rich. She's also a CPA, so she tried. I don't want to be safe. I want to be rich. Trying to protect the money. Rich, I tell you. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop. Presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Yeah. Shout out to Lamontre on Facebook watching. Lamontre pissing me off a little bit. I told everybody Uh-oh. who is a part of the real estate group they need to come to Detroit. This is crazy. How y'all in this and you never came to Detroit? You need to get on the plane and come see this stuff. Because it's only going to get better. Man, you know what I just thought of? Is me having these skills. I've already demoed it. We have a house called Steel. I've already demoed it. 
I can mess around and start working on that one next. Like, all right, we're going to drive. We're going to get the electrical in here. We want the plumbing in here. We're going to get the HVAC in here. And I'm going to just start putting up my own drywall. Because I know how to do drywall now. It ain't that deep. All you're going to do is fix your imperfections with mud. I mud the drywall myself. Paint it. Floor it. New house alert. New house alert. New house alert. I guess, man, to see it in person gives you a whole nother level I guess a motivation. What do you think would it do for them if he, like, for instance, Amantri, if he came to actually see his investment? What do you think that would do? I think it would inspire people. I think it would motivate them to want to get more involved. Um, I think that's what would happen. Yeah, I agree. But Lamontre is definitely a writer. He's also my frat brother. I'm becoming more of a Sigma every day. I got to get back to my Sigma. Now, another part was reverse engineering your life. Figure out how you want to live and work backwards. Tell the folks how to do that, man. What, what did you do? Well, it's pretty simple. That's what that's what you've been doing, right? That's like your whole life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the answer to that question. Yeah. Oh man. No, but um, I just feel like I've said it so many times. Um. And I try to convey it to people, but like, I'm, I'm tired of convincing folks, man. I'm just trying to live for Nolan and the kid. That's all I want to do. Live for Nolan and the kid. Mm-hmm. My wife is go, fine. Go see I, the I, houses. I, I posted a picture. It, it's so funny. I'll be on Twitter going back and forth with retards. And I'm like, my wife is fine. Like, all the accomplishments, whatever. The accomplishment is my wife is fine. Like, that's saying a lot. Granted, I'm damn handsome myself, but I'm married and my wife is fine. Like, I think that's really cool. People don't give me enough props for that. I don't get props for having a fine wife, but I should. <laughs> like, if folks out there, they dating, they paying all this money, they arguing with these chicks about providing and stuff, and I'm just over here with a fine wife. I don't got to debate nobody. I just got to live. I only show up because I want the culture to be better. I tell women that they're dumb because I want them to have marriages and actually be happy instead of just doing dumb stuff on the timeline, trying to squeeze a little bit of money out of dudes that they're dating. I'm like, bruh. If you just locked in with the dude, you get everything you could ever want. But you're so busy trying to do dumb stuff that you can't even get anything. You're over here trying to not contribute that you can't get anything. You're not contributing and you're left with nothing. You reap what you sow, ladies. Hmm. This episode's 
version of Black Billionaire Banter. We're going to talk about Byron Allen. So it seems like Byron Allen has pulled off another uh, big deal recently. I didn't even know he had this, but he apparently he has a streaming app called HBCU Go. That's about uh, streaming HBCU collegiate sports. That's dope. Yeah, he just uh, signed a deal with CBS to have it um, broadcast in like major markets across the United States. So that's kind of cool. So it's like a little weird. It's like we're not the biggest fans of Byron Allen here, but he's doing something cool right here. Bring the HBCU to the light. So that's cool. It always seems like he's doing something self-serving, really, but it's cool. Shout out to him. It's interesting how he made a big pivot, though. This guy was a stand-up comedian. Now he's just a big, huge media mogul. Seems a little weird, like. Um, I don't know. I think that what's interesting, and I think that when you say self-serving, I think that like having a white wife and being self-serving kind of go hand in hand. But I think he's having a revelation as of late, and that's cool. Shout out to that. Um, but hopefully it's not too late because ESPN is starting to show these black sports. I've been seeing a lot of them mm-hmm. on TV, but I think he could still make it then. Shout out to him for doing it. Hopefully we don't got to let white folks encourage us to do things all the time. We can actually just do things for our people. I'm going to change the culture of Detroit. You know, I'm going to change the culture of Detroit because I'm going to show up and I'm going to work. And I'm going to be like, bruh, what are y'all sitting down for? We ran those dudes off today. They're like, I guess we'll just go home then. It's like, well, you could have just been working, you lazy bum. You could have been working alongside of us. And then you know what would have happened? If we would have finished that door, we could have been like, you know what? All right, well, now there's another house for us to go after. So y'all trying to squeeze everything out of one deal, high ticket, folks. <laughs> it all came back to high ticket. It all is related. So Okay. Now, this was an interesting tweet that Caught me off guard. You said NFTs want to be digital products when they grow up. I was really impressed. I was looking for a business to buy. And usually in the categories, it just has like um, like e-com, Shopify. But in this instance, it's had a digital products. And I was like, digital products are starting to become respectable. And I was like, that's kind of cool that like digital products are starting to be looked at as like a real thing. And then I started to think, I was like, digital products are basically just NFTs. Like it's something that can be sold for value that's non, non-physical. And I was thinking, I was like, these folks out here doing the wrong thing. These NFTs and whatever, this trendy stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that it's as lucrative as people think it is. I think it's just a big okie doke. And sometimes what happens with technology is what comes up isn't actually what is sustained. So um, 
there's been all kind of like developments and technological developments that never panned out. I remember there's this MLM called Five Links. And it was like this phone that you could like do this stuff with and it never panned out even though it was innovative. So just because something's innovative doesn't mean that it's like the thing that's going to stay around forever. But digital products are tending to stay around forever. But NFTs are being phased out. They're being hyped up. You have people out there buying dumb pieces of art, creating dumb pieces of art, and they're trying to sell it for a bunch of money and they plummet in value because it was never worth anything in the first place. That's why I'm not a fan of crypto. And so I just thought that like it was kind of interesting that like NFTs and digital products have so many similarities, but I think mm-hmm. digital products have more long-term value because they actually do something. My courses actually teach you something. It's not just something to look at and say, this is a Charles art, a picture of Charles with some shades on. Like It's, more, it's deeper than that. Mm. Yeah. A little off topic, but what's interesting to me is I was thinking today is when people talk about like when you have these futurists, they talk and you hear all these predictions and they say they say all these things are gonna happen in the future. Like they said they've been saying like um online education is gonna become a huge industry. And we're seeing that now with all the co- online courses and everything. But these things take a while. People say today it might take, it'll take years. Sometimes it might take a decade. Like we've been hearing about society's going to go cashless. And it seems so silly for a while. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, there's a coin shortage. All of a sudden, it's like everything's contactless. And it kind of ushered into all these things that people said were going to happen, like the, the kiosk, self-checkout. The people been saying, oh, all well, these cashiers are about to lose their jobs. They're about to replace you. The robots are coming. Self-service kiosks are coming. And it's like, eh, whatever. Then boom. It's coming true now. It's kind of like gentrification, too. It's like some people just don't see the signs. Like people say, it's coming. They're about to push you all out. And because it doesn't happen quick overnight, People fall asleep, fall asleep, and then here they come. They buy one building, and they buy another house, and another building all around them, and people are still there in that neighborhood, not doing anything, not getting their income up, not getting their credit up, not looking to buy property for themselves, not just sleeping. And then one day they wake up, and they, their rent is up 30%. Then they're forced to go next neighborhood over then the next neighborhood over and then where do you end up people get ahead of it folks get ahead of it get your money up but you had a tweet where you said i told y'all kobe was the recession and folks really can't grasp it man kobe did everything that 2008, 2009 did. Those massive, massive point decreases that we saw during 2008, 2009 that happened during COVID. That massive drop that was unsustainable that I knew they were ultimately correct. It, it boggles my mind that people saw stores being closed. They saw people unable to travel. They saw everything going on sale. 
and they didn't grasp that that was the recession. And so they're over here hiding from COVID. And now after COVID, they're like, it's a recession coming. But you know what's interesting is after 2008, 2009, you know what the big talk was, was when's the next recession coming? You remember that? Everybody was talking about it. They're like, a recession is coming, y'all. It's coming. And people will get on YouTube and they'll talk about a recession and because they realized that they missed out. And mm. so that was the reason why they were saying that. A lot of people missed out on COVID. But like Warren Buffett says, you have to be greedy when they're fearful. And sometimes fear can be justified. And so during 2008, the fear was justified. People were losing jobs. People were... Mm-hmm. Like home values were going down, all kind of crazy stuff. And during COVID, the fear was justified. People were dying. People were getting sick. Everyone was getting COVID. But you still got to be greedy. Just because the fear is real doesn't mean you get to not be greedy. You got to be greedy even though the fear is real. And so I bring that up because for me, during COVID, I got real greedy. But it was fear. There's no fear in the market right now. The only fear is recession fear. But people are saying, oh, there's a recession coming. And this is why I think that it's important to not just learn, but also learn how to think. And that's what law school teaches you. Law school teaches you a combination of things. It teaches you both the information and then how to think about the information. What a lot of people online do is they just learn the information. They learn what the definition of a recession is. So the recession will say two negative, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And then they'll spot it and they'll be like, oh, there it is. There's a recession. Not realizing that it's not as simple as that. You have to think. Do people think there's a recession? No, they're spending money hand over fist. People were traveling. It was vacation time. They were taking trips. They were happy to be outside. They were shopping. They're doing everything. How do you have a recession and record levels of spending? How do you have a recession you have high prices and people are still paying the prices. It's not like there's high prices and folks like, I don't got no money to pay that. No, folks had money to pay it. How do you have a recession? You have all those things combined. It doesn't make sense. But another thing that happened during 2008 is unemployment. They pumped it. They're extending unemployment. They're giving people record levels of unemployment. They did the same thing during COVID. People are losing jobs. Same thing during COVID. COVID was the recession that you're waiting for and COVID is a recession that you're referring to. And I say this, and even smart people disagree with me because I said this to Julian Gordon and he was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't think that was a recession. It was a recession. It, it was a recession. Nobody wants to look at the, the GDP numbers for that because the country was shut down. But if you look at the GDP, when the country was shut down and supply chain shortages, I'm sure we had massive steep declines in GDP during that time. But nobody looks at those numbers. They just ignore what happened during COVID because that was COVID. No, that was recession. If you look at the GDP, I guarantee you it declined for multiple quarters on end. And so now what they're looking at and they're saying it's negative GDP, it's just slightly negative. It's like in the in the percentages, it's not massive negative numbers. I say all this because you still got to be greedy. And so I'm still buying stuff. I bought $100,000 worth of S&P or SPY yesterday after liquidating a bunch of other positions to reposition my portfolio for the upside. I was like, you know what? ARC isn't coming back. It's not coming back. It was over-indexed in companies that were making a bunch of money during COVID. 
And so the other thing that happens during COVID is you can't be buying all the hype stuff that's being pumped up due to COVID. Amazon, Zoom, all those other companies, the, fin, the, the fintech companies, they might eventually come back, but they're not coming back anytime soon. So I had to liquidate those positions and put myself into some stuff that actually makes sense. And so this is important because you got to learn how to think about the information. I had a thought today that was that problem solvers get paid by problem identifiers. And so I always talk about the difference between like a problem identifier and a problem solver. A lot of folks can look at this stuff and find a problem. People can go to your event and say it could have been better. But mm-hmm. it's the problem solver. Like just because you identify, like if you identify a problem, you're a perfect customer because you know it's an issue. So once I bring you that solution, boom. A lot of times in sales, your job is just to highlight the problems and then offer your solution. I'm just showing you the problems that you don't know exist. And so people think that they're deep when they talk about the problems. I don't care if you can identify the problems. I don't care if you can tell me the issues with this drywall. What I care about is if you solve the drywall problem. That's what I care about. And if you proactively take steps to solve that problem. But a lot of folks don't do that. What they do is they just spend all the damn time talking about the problem and sitting on the porch. And I got to show up and I got to be the problem solver that I am and the hard work that I am. And I got to stay at the house for 12 hours and get shit done. And I'm always be that kind of person. And that's why I'm a winner. And that's why even if I lose, I'm going to still win because those are intangibles. They cost no money. It costs no money to show up and work. It costs no money to work three jobs. It costs no money to do any of those things. Wealth doesn't require money. It requires intangible things that most people don't have and they won't have them because culturally they're just not there mentally for whatever reason that might be. Grant Cardone said everybody is caught up with that old cliche that, that says it takes money to make money. And he's like, it don't take money to make money. It takes courage to make money. And to go back to what you were saying earlier, you were saying um, just because the fear is real, like is like substantiated, doesn't mean that you you're not supposed to be greedy. Still, so, like you don't have an excuse to not be greedy. And immediately, what I'm thinking to myself is like you got to remember, your kids don't know what the heck a recession is. All they know is they want food on the table and they want to do stuff. Like, and you can't t- turn to your kids and say, nah, you can't eat tonight. <laughs> There's a recession going on. Mm. You can't. You got a family. You got to feed them. That's it. 365 days a year. There's no excuse. Not At least not that they'll accept. So you just got to remember that. Kids do not know what a season is as far as money and putting food on the table so and you gotta live and also remember that no matter how bad things are like even if they're real is like it's still a part of life and when you're having your worst day somebody out there is having their best day well you're when, when you die somebody's going to be born so it's like to you, it might seem like the world is ending, but the world is just beginning for somebody else. So it was like this. You're going to be trying to get it at all times. 
get after it at all times. Now, you had a tweet, and you kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the show. You said, I used to enter business deals with rose-colored glasses, expecting it to all go right. Not any more. Yeah, after this, we're going to wrap it. But I would just say that I'm a little bit more mature in business now where I kind of am expecting to have to dance a little bit. I'm expecting to have to put on my problem solver shoes and navigate what comes. And a lot of times when we go into business or investment, we're just expecting it to be perfect. It's a real estate fund. Folks are like, this is going to be perfect. No problems, no hiccups, no nothing. COVID, boom. Other struggles, boom. But I think that the problem with that thinking is it becomes this mindset where we do business as long as business is easy and perfect. Not where we do business because we do business. And so when I start to look at it that way, what I start to realize is if the deal makes money, it makes money. If it doesn't make money, we still do deals. We just got to do it a little bit better the next time. We got to figure out a little bit better the next time. And so the reason why I want to finish this house has nothing to do with any money. It has everything to do with I can say I did that. I can say I bought a house in terrible condition and I made it great again. Mm-hmm. It's not that I haven't done it before, but I've never done it at a, at a market level. And so like that's what it's about to me. Because I do business for the sake of doing business, not for the sake of getting rich. I believe in the process of doing business. And so now when I approach it, I think it's a more, it's kind of like when you get into a relationship and you get married, you're just like, they always say like for better or for worse. And then as soon as folks hit worse, they'd be like, I'm out. Mm. It's like, bruh, through worse. He didn't say through bad. He said worse. Like that's bad, worse than bad. Like worse is like, bro, this shit sucks. And I've gone through worse in my marriage. And I've communicated that to my wife. And interestingly enough, when you go through worse, you get better. My relationship is really, really good right now. And I'm really happy. Like, I could say I'm happy right now. Like, it's a really good situation that I'm in. But it wasn't always like this. But I feel like sometimes folks get into worse and they don't do the self-work. They don't do whatever is required. And then they're just like, well, maybe this just isn't for me. Or maybe this is just a bad investment or whatever that might be. And so I don't do marriage on the condition that it's perfect and it works out 100%. I don't do business on the condition that it's perfect and it works out 100%. I do business because I do business. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm looking at it and it's like I got to plan for the worst ahead of time. And I think that's important as well is to plan for the worst ahead of time or to not be disappointed when you hit bad times. It's like I can't be disappointed when I get a bad contractor because bad contractors are a part of the game. It just comes with doing business. And so it's just, for me, a perspective shift so I can stop getting like angry or emotionally involved or like frustrated or discouraged or any kind of like negative things that could happen when you go into 
to doing this kind of stuff. It helps me keep a level head. And so I approach it that way because I think it's, it's where you have to evolve to. When you start to realize that I'm never going back to a job and I'm blessed to even say that I'm here because I just remember for so long on this podcast talking about I got to leave the job. So to be able to say that I'm never going back is definitely a blessing. And I don't take it for granted. Um, but by being here, I realized that I got to keep a level head because I think a lot of times what happens when people leave their job and they get into business and it doesn't work out, they go back to their job not realizing that's kind of one of the worst things you could do because now you're saying that I'm only in it for the good stuff and you've got to be in business for better or for worse for the good times and the lean times. When the lean times happen, we don't get a job. We just figure out a different way to do business. We figure out whatever that might look like. And that's where we got to be. And that's where I am transitioning into being. Take him out, Raphael. Hmm. I have one more thing I wanted to ask you about. One more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do one more, brother. You said, I create legends. You create an army of haters. Man, I was uh, really inspired seeing um, Stamper on stage talking his shit and then folks coming up to him like, man, I love your content. I love what you're doing. And I was like, that's crazy to me because I think that people, when they come into the mastermind, sometimes they don't appreciate the mastermind completely because the mastermind isn't just me showing up, giving you a lecture. A mastermind is you getting a chance to get insight into the inner workings of who I am as a person. And that I push through certain things. I push through difficulties. I push through fear. Like the mastermind is different level stuff. It's not just information. Right before I jumped out of the plane, I hopped on the mastermind and I talked about my experience going through the master, or going through uh, jumping in the plane and how I was scared and how I needed to get a pep talk. That's not a no course. After I jumped out the plane, I came inside of the mastermind and I talked about my jumping out of the plane experience. Again, that's not in the course. You can only get that by being in the mastermind, but there's lessons in that. There's value in that. There's gems in that. Just as much as the options course, there's gems in just having a conversation with me every single day. And it's kind of crazy to say that because it's kind of like humbling to think that I have that impact. But seeing that happen with Stamp, also seeing that happen with Henry. Henry got to put his foot back on the gas because when Henry was kicking it, nobody was touching Henry. He was that dude. Henry came through this whole entity that is Todd Capital, Todd, all that stuff. He literally came in, got clients, was doing all kind of really cool things. Michelle, blowing up, speaking on stage. Like, when you're connected to me, opportunities flow. You don't have to get vetted. It has come to you. People come to you all the time, Raphael, like, hey, Raphael, I want you, I want to blah, 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 blah. Opportunities just flow. And so... I'm creating legends. I think Raphael has clout. He has a podcast that has all these different things. He has people who have gone through his platform and have created their own thing. So you're a legend to somebody. But on the other hand, I was thinking about how you got people 
like be real estate, who the only thing he did was find people to hate on me. The only thing Tony the Closer is doing is find people to hate on me. And I think that's very interesting because I don't do that. I'm not in the business of finding people to hate on nobody. I'm not, I don't even go out of my, I'm not here to tear you down. We fight the same battle. If I tear you down, I'm still tearing myself down. If I walk down the street and they see me and they see you, they're going to clutch their purse just like if they saw anybody else. We're in the same battle. So we need to understand that and stop hating on each other, stop pulling each other down, start pushing each other up because we're going to continue to get more of the same. But I just thought that it was interesting because I was like seeing all the people that I'm creating that are doing really cool things and then seeing all the people that just were out there just trying to hate on me. It just it was interesting to me because they haven't accomplished anything but hating on me (laughs) (laughs) and lying on Twitter. Lies told on Twitter. On that note, we're going to wrap it up, folks. Man. That's so true, though, you said. People reach out to me like, can we get you and Charles on? Or actually, a lot of people now are just asking me if I if could come on. And I'm, My first reaction was used to be like, um, well, I'll talk to Charles to see if he, if he got time to do your thing. They're like, well, yeah, well, if you can't come, can you come? Say, like, oh, all right, well, we got you, got you, no problem. Problem. And that's all from, from Tweet Talk, man. And being in the system in the talk capital world. But we're gonna take it out. Be sure to join our millionaire family at moneyteamtc.com for more private conversations that are even higher level than this. <laughs> yeah, right over there. <coughs> yeah, I'm good. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube. Just search for Todd Capital. Um, follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow Charles on Instagram at Real Todd Billion. And also the parent company at Todd.Capital. Follow us on Twitter, of course, at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P O D. Follow us on TikTok at Tweet Talk P O D. Follow Charles on Twitter. On TikTok, uh, Capital. Like I say, on Twitter, we also Real Todd Billion and Work Money Life. The episode 138 of Tweet Talk About Love podcast. I'd like to leave you guys with one last tweet from Charles for inspiration. Just remember, Charles said, Don't let anyone get between you and your goals. Not even a contractor. Not even a contractor. On behalf of me, myself, Raphael, and Charles, episode 138 of Tweet Talk About Web Podcast. Have a good night, people. We are out. Yes, this is Donald, the voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag. You know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm going to give you a real, real nice deal. 
but you have to mention that you're a Tweak Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.